The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Let me just offer a prayer as we begin this morning. Father, we just ask you that you would open our hearts, that we would be, we would just be empty vessels, Lord, to have you and your Holy Spirit just fill our hearts with whatever it is, Lord, that you want to say to us today, that you want to teach us, that you want to show us how you want to comfort, encourage, strengthen this body of believers from the youngest to the oldest. And we're thankful, Lord, that we can be here. We're thankful that we can have a word of God that is so powerful and so practical in our lives to lead us day by day. So bless us, Lord, as we we listen to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure that after a hurricane like Irma, many people are asking the question, well, if God's in charge of everything, why in the world would he allow something like this or Harvey in Texas to take place? Because there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of suffering. There's loss of property, probably $200 billion in damages between the two hurricanes, the strongest ones to hit this country ever. But a better question might be, what is God trying to tell us about himself? and maybe what we should value in life. I'm sure some of you had some pretty strong thoughts before the hurricane hit, and maybe just for a moment here you could share a word or a phrase that God impressed upon you when that hurricane was on its way. Anybody? What? Be still. Trust. Peace. Hmm? Mercy. Yep. Help. It's pretty cool. Um, I was tempted, honestly, to pray that God would send the storm east. Anybody else tempted to pray that? But I have some friends in Orlando missionaries that I've supported that were in our church in Sandy, but now they live in Orlando. And I said, Lord, you're just going to have to take this where you want to take it and do whatever you want to do with it, create whatever you need to create, and help us, whatever, whatever that is. So that's pretty cool. This morning I'd like to put Irma and the lessons of life, really, into the broader context of spirit war and spirit victory. I I'm giving you an outline this morning if you want to follow along, fill in the blanks, things like that. There's a quote at the top of your outline that says, One of the most sobering facts about life is that all humans have supernatural enemy whose aim is to use pain and pleasure to make us blind, stupid, miserable, forever. John Piper. I think the devil himself, or even to think that the devil had nothing to do with this, is a little unrealistic because the devil tempted Job you remember brought fire from heaven brought a wind that wiped out the home that his children were in and killed them all there's a powerful thing going on there and there's a spirit war between God and Satan and man and that's really what Job is telling us Job was an early book written probably even lived before Abraham because he was about 220, 240 years old at the time 
And it just shows us there's a, there's a dilemma between what's going on with God, what's going on with the devil, what's going on with us. Jesus told Peter, he said, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. So isn't it pretty cool and, and neat that God is praying for us? The spirit war started in heavens. Isaiah 14 tells us the devil said, I'm going to exalt my throne above the throne of God. I'm going to be like the Most High. And right then and there, the spirit war begins. There's demons. We're not quite sure how the demons all came together. There's very little in the Bible that tell us, tells us where they came from. Some very interesting things in the first six chapters of Genesis. But we really don't know. But there were a lot of demons in Jesus' day and today and in the past. So the spirit war started. The big question is, that I want to kind of address this morning as part of our whole message, is why did God allow this? There's a scripture um, that I want you to read with me, and maybe you can read it out loud. It'll be up here. It's from Isaiah. Read this out loud with me, will you please? You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe in me and understand that I am he. And before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no other. I really hope that you'll take some time to read Isaiah 43 when you get home today. It's an incredibly great chapter that gives us a big picture of what God is doing in the world and why he's done it the way he's done it and why he is so wise. But the main reason is that God is allowing himself to be challenged. The devil challenged him in heaven Demons challenge him today, and you and I, in our own way, we challenge God. And God is saying, you know what? I've got to prove to humanity that I am the only God and the real God, and that's why I'm letting things happen the way they do. There's a reason. There's a purpose. The other interesting thing is that God, for those of us who have asked Christ into our heart, He's put a brand new Holy Spirit in an old body. An old body. Because Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desire of the what? The flesh. What is the flesh? Well, it has to do with this body, this old body. And the Holy Spirit lives in this old body, but it's still old, and someday it's going to die, and someday it's, someday it's going to go back to the dust. God says, I'm experiencing a spirit war in the universe, but I want my children also to experience warfare themselves. You ever thought of that? I want my children to experience the conflict of walking by the Spirit and not being tempted and moving in the direction of the flesh, I want them to experience it firsthand. That purpose is a purpose for life on earth, to strengthen us, 
to cause us to be focused on what God has called us to be and what he's called us to do, it's also very purposeful for all of eternity. This is boot camp here on this planet. It's boot camp. Not just for earth, but for heaven. God is preparing us. And we've got to go through it. We're headed to the promised land, right? But Joshua was also headed to the promised land, wasn't he? And what did he have to do to get into the promised land? He had to fight. And Israel fought for seven straight years. So it wasn't just a cakewalk. It was purposeful. God says, you know what? It's going it's to take effort and understanding and knowledge and my word and my Holy Spirit because I'm going to show you that the bottom line is that my children win. We're going to be victorious. So it's spirit war, but it's with a spirit victory. And God says, I've got to have all of my children experience it for themselves. And that's what this is all about. There's a plan to all of this. So suffering, yes, it's part of it. There's a very interesting verse in Hebrews 5.8. It says, Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. God would have to learn obedience? Well, it's really talking about Jesus in his humanity. Christ learned obedience by what he suffered. Paul says, hey, we're, we're going to be going into, into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but we, we also need to be willing to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1.19. So my point this morning is, all of pain and suffering, warfare, all the things that go on in our life, good and bad, have a purpose that God is trying to accomplish. And it's right there in Isaiah chapter 43. I'm going to tell the world that there is no other God beside me. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's it. I'm not the God of Ishmael. Are you aware that the greatest anti-Christ religion in the world is Islam? And Islam has a plan at the end times as well. They have a savior coming called Mahdi, M-A-H-D-I. Mahdi's antichrist is Jesus. And I'm thinking that our antichrist probably is going to be Mahdi. They're looking forward to that person. Makes more sense than to think that the Antichrist is coming out of Europe, which many believers have thought for a long time. But it makes more sense to realize that back to Abraham is where Islam and Christianity trace their roots. Right? What about that dome of the rock where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac? And the inscription inside where Melody and I have been, it reads, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. The conflict is much more natural between these two groups than anything else we can see. And God says, you know what? I'm going to win. Amen? I'm going to win. And you and I, in our faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to be a part of that, that whole victory. 
But right now, we've still got things to face. Ephesians chapter 6, take a look. Let's read it together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual wars, forces of evil in the heavenly places. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So that's what we're looking at this morning. Draw your strength from the Lord. That's in your outline, point one. Draw your strength from the Lord. Well, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. He's named all of the stars. Um, right now, the count of the stars in the universe is somewhere around one septillion. That's a, a one with 24 zeros. And in Isaiah chapter 40, God says, I have named all of those. I like that because that means God can keep track of things. It means God can keep track of things in my life. If that's, a, that's a lot of detail out there. There's only 7 billion people on the world and the, on the earth, and God can keep track of every one of us. Stephen Hawking says that the universe is built on a knife edge. It is so perfectly balanced that even between an electron and a proton, if you change that, that electrical balance, even by less than 2%, he says, the entire universe falls apart. It just comes apart. And yet, somehow, in... 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. And Stephen Hawking is an atheist. How can you be an atheist when you look at the universe, huh? I don't understand. There's too much out there. God's made a solar eclipse, which all scientists say is so unique, there's nothing like it in the entire universe. He's allowed the moon to be of such a size to just be perfectly placed in front of the sun, God says, let me show you something that I can do. Isn't that neat? So what do we do when we really think about drawing our strength from the Lord? In your outline, the first thing that we do is we've got to admit that we are inadequate. We've got to admit that. I'm not a big shot. God's, God's helping me. God is strengthening me. But I can't be doing it on my own. Look at 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. It says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from who? Christ. And that's, I'm sure, why Paul, I mean, why Ryan was just so kind of overcome today, being where... The Apostle Paul wrote many of the things that he wrote. But admitting inadequacy, that's my choice. Drawing near to God, that's my choice. God's not going to do it for me. He says, draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Return to me, and I'll return to you. 
God is asking us to accept by faith and take the initiative to receive the power that he has provided for us. But it's our choice. During that storm, Amy and I were the last two ones up. So we kind of made a room downstairs, and Melody and I were just going to sleep where we were upstairs. And Amy and I were just kind of talking about getting into God's Word, and probably many of you read her post where she just said, I just read and read and read and prayed and prayed until I finally found the peace of God. Isn't that neat? And sometimes you have to do that. It might take five minutes, it might take a half an hour, it might take a whole day to pray until you really sense the presence of God and believe by faith that he's in charge. So we were doing that together, and finally we went to bed. And wasn't it kind of neat how the storm came right over the top of us? And we were expecting the back end of the storm, and it never showed up. It was just calm. God can do what he wants. The second thing we've got to do is to realize that God understands the enemy. Look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood through the world. I can't read that last thing on the sign. What's it say up there? Yeah, throughout the world. Do you really believe that the devil's trying to destroy you? How many believe that? Okay. Well, the devil, his, his main job is to destroy any good that God does on the planet. Whatever God has done, he tried to destroy Jesus. That's his objective. So to realize it is a really important thing for us, I think. And that resisting is up to me. So God's plan is that we win. Amen? That we win. Point two in your outline, study the tactics of the evil one. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. At the age of nine, I became a Christian. I, I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And I was convinced that he came in. But there was a couple of things that I didn't realize. I didn't realize, number one, that I had been on the wrong team. But after becoming a Christian and experiencing Christ coming into my life, I thought, man, I just didn't even know I was on the wrong side. And now I'm on the right side, and I feel very clean. That was my experience. Very clean. And I realized that God was in my life. And secondly, I immediately sensed that I had an adversary. Something was going on that I had never experienced before. I began to experience war. And I began to realize that the devil was, was going to try all he could, probably through the rest of my life, to discourage me, to distract me, to scare me, to make me doubt my faith, which I did quite a bit when I was young in my faith. And all of a sudden, 
I just began to realize, you know, the Christian life is not a downhill ride, is it? It's always uphill. There's always, it may not be like climbing Mount Everest or something, but there's always something to be reaching for, and God is with us in the whole process. I also learned that the devil is the father of lies. In John 8, 44, it says, When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So I realized that the devil is not going to tell me the truth, that the devil is going to take God's word and twist it and distort it and, and, and make it in such a way that, that I'm going to get trapped in my life with something Something is going gonna, is gonna to hurt me. Something is going to scare me. Something's going to make it difficult for me to, to really be effective for the Lord. Well, that all started in the garden, didn't it? With Eve. The devil comes to her and he says, you know what? She, says, she said, well, God has told us that if we eat of this tree, we're going to die. And the devil says to her, says, you know what? Don't buy that. Don't buy that. It's not true. God is hiding something from you that he doesn't want you to know. And once you eat of this tree, you're going to be like he is. And you're going to know things that you've never known before. She bought the lie. Look at Romans 1.25. Would you read that with me out loud? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's Satan's goal, to help us worship ourselves and to bring us to that particular place in life where we are serving ourselves and not God. That's his goal. So, okay, that's fine. Anton LaVey is a guy who wrote the Satanic Bible. And when I was in Modesto working with college kids for a number of years, we were very close to Modesto. We had a lot of drugs in Modesto at that time, a lot of Satanic activity. One of, one of the students came into my office one day and says, Charlie, my, my tennis racket was flying across my room all night long. I couldn't get any sleep. Things like that were happening all the time. My good friend Jeff down the street was a warlock witch. One day I invited him over to help me pull weeds. He became a Christian in my backyard. Now he's a pastor. We were in Yosemite with a group of singing kids sharing the gospel. We ran into one couple who had just sacrificed their baby to Satan. If you think spiritual war is just a lighthearted matter, kind of a joke in life, or it's really not going to affect you and me, that's just absolutely part of the big lie. That's why all through Scripture, God is saying, be alert, be sober-minded, watch out. Just when you think things are just running so well, and you're taking the, the credit for it, and you're not giving God the glory, 
things can happen. Anton LaVey wrote the Satanic Bible. He died in 1997. I knew his son, who became a Christian, by the way. The first verse in the Satanic Bible says, Do what thou wilt, this shall be the whole of the law. Do whatever you want. Don't submit. Don't do anything. Don't trust God. And that's the core of sin, that we can live independent of God. But that's impossible. He's the creator. We are the creatures. He's the one that lives outside of this universe. He's God, holy, by himself, other than. And we are his creation. We are dependent on the Lord. Look at verse 12 in Ephesians where it talks about evil spirits, rulers, powers, world forces of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is an awful lot going on out in this universe and on this planet. And last night I was just sharing with the, with the boys. I said, you know, let's, let's read in uh, Kings chapter 6 where some people came and they they wanted to capture Elisha because Elisha was prophesying and the king didn't like it. So he sent his army to Elisha. And Elisha's servant came in real quick and said, Hey, Elisha, uh, there's a lot of folks outside and they're going to try to get a hold of you. And the Bible says that Elisha prayed and asked God to open the eyes of the servant that he would see something. And when God did that, the servant saw all of God's horses and chariots surrounding the mountains around Elisha. But he never saw it before, but he saw it then. There is a lot of things that we can't see, evil things and good things, like guardian angels and God positioning people around us for certain tasks and events. <coughs> it's just incredible. Now, there's deceptions of the temper, of the tempter. And Jesus is the one who experienced that when the Bible says that the Holy Spirit took him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the devil came to him. And the devil said, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Because God's really not providing for your needs very well right now, is he? <clears throat> You've been out here for 40 days. You must be really tired. And I know you're really hungry. And you've taken manna from heaven, right? You've provided food. Why don't you just, just do it? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, right? by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then Jesus took him to the corner. And by the way, have you ever doubted that God would provide for you? Have you ever doubted that? I know that Melody and I have gone through a lot of things in our lives, but somehow we've never missed a meal on purpose. Never. 
Then the devil took the, Jesus to the corner of the temple, and he says, if you're, if you're really God, throw yourself down. Because maybe God doesn't care for you as much as you think he should. Maybe he's off doing something, and let's just see if he'll really protect you. And Jesus responds from the Bible and says, you, will, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. So have you ever wondered, really, if God cares for you? You may be going through something right now in your life that's really hard. You may have lost a job. You may have something physical that's going on in your body, some sort of illness, something that's going on. Something might be happening, and it's generally happening to most of us most of the time. Sometimes we're going to be tempted to think, God, this has gone on too long. This is a tough road for me. I'm not sure that you really, really care or that you really see what I'm facing. I'm scared. And yet, just before these verses, God is saying, if you'll humble yourself to me, I will exalt you at the proper time. If you'll cast all your cares upon me, I will care for you. So God is promising many things, and Jesus knew it as well. And then Satan took him to the high mountain. He says, I'm going to give you all the worldly kingdoms if you fall down and worship me. He said, I don't think your father has given you enough. I mean, here you are on earth, right? And you're even thinking that, gee, I don't even have a house. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The birds have nests and so on and so on, but look at me. And, and the devil is saying, hey, you know, God's not taking very good care of you. And maybe for us it's, hey, I need a little bit more money. I'm not really satisfied where I'm right now. Things have been taken away from me or things have been given to me or things are changing in my life and I don't know what's going on and I, I just don't know if, if I shouldn't go it alone. And then at that point, we just take matters into our hands and off we go and we think we can make the difference. We can make the change. One of our four children basically went over the cliff for several years in her teenage life. And uh, she's doing fabulous today. But at one point she says, God has given me a wake-up wake call in my life. And for us in those years, it was kind of like an atom bomb was going off in our house almost every day. It was tragic. We finally had to ask her to leave. And she lived, lived on the street for almost a year. And we had to let God do what God needed to do. And she came back. She knew what she was doing. And God blessed her, and God has continued to bless her and her family and all those kind of things. So if we trust God, if we follow the Lord, if we don't get ahead of him, if we don't doubt that he really cares, and if we think that we shouldn't maybe be experiencing the things we're experiencing right now, because God's kind of checked out on us. We've been told another lie. God says, you know, if you're going through suffering, I got a plan. I have a reason for it. 
part of that reason is, is when you're going to be with me in heaven and you'll look back and say, Lord, thanks for training me in my life. Thanks for helping me. And with that, we're going to be giving God a lot of praise, right? For a lot of eternity. Because we're going to all of a sudden realize what the whole plan was all about. I've got a quick question for you. Do you think that Jesus was stronger or weaker after spending 40 days fasting? Stronger. He was tired. He was hungry. 40 days fasting, that's a long, long time. But he was stronger. So sometimes we think that it ought to be a lot simpler in life to get through what we're going through. It doesn't have to be. I think that the neatest, safest thing that a believer can do is saying, God, I'm yours 100%. That's a decision I made when I was 15 years old. <clears throat> because when I was 9 years old, I didn't understand lordship, that God wanted 100% of me. I thought 90% was plenty. The devil says, just give 90%. You handle the other 10%. And I said, God, two things. You're smart. You're the smartest person around. And I want a happy life. And I'm the dumbest person around. So I think I'll just give you my life instead of me trying to run it. I'm going to let you run it. You direct it. You find me a wife. You help me with my career and my job and whatever else you want me to do. And God has done just that. Point three in your outline, we'll wrap up with this. Take up God's spirit armor for your victory. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done everything to stand. A winner is a believer who is steadfast in their faith. If you're a growing Christian, we're all growing, we're all in process, if you're a grown Christian, the main thing, the main point you want to get to in life is where you are steadfast. You're not going to turn from God. You're, you're not going to do the big major dumb thing. You're going to let God run your life. Be strong and courageous. God told Joshua that before he went into the, to the promised land, the battlefield. And God said, Joshua... Here's the battle plan. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I want you to be careful to do according to everything I've commanded you in my word. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to observe everything, 100% of it. Don't try to change my word. Don't try to do something different. Stay on track. Not to the right, not to the left. Stay on track and you'll make your way prosperous, and you'll be successful. You say, well, is that a battle plan? Yeah. That's how you live your life. And when it comes to, to places like Jericho, God can take walls down all by himself. So we just need to trust him with that. So what's the process? 
1 Peter 5, 10, and 11. Let's read that out loud together. After, are you with me? And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, and to him be the dominion forever and ever. That's the plan. That's the process. That's the road we're on. Secondly, the purpose. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. Read that with me. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us to triumph, to triumphal procession, uh, procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That's an interesting verse. God always leads us in triumph. He wants us to smell good to people who will come to Christ through us, but also he wants us to talk about Christ to people who may never see the love of Christ and never see heaven. He wants the gospel. That's why he doesn't tell us who's going to be saved. He just wants us to keep sharing our faith, keep sharing the gospel, get it out there. Be a fragrance to the world. Be a light. Be salt. Be salty and shine brightly. That's what Jesus said. So the people will see what you do and how it's good, and they will glorify your Father in heaven. What does 1 Corinthians 15 say? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord and knowing that in the Lord your labor is not, what? In vain. And then there's the prize. Romans 8.31, read it with me. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. We're the winners, folks. It's kind of stupid to feel defeated if you're really a Christian. But we feel that way. We're tempted to feel that way. We're tempted to, things that, to think that things aren't maybe as good as they ought to be in our life. We're not willing to accept right where we are. Because God will take you wherever he wants you to go if you give him 100% control. I was on my way from seminary home one day. I was on the Hollywood Freeway. I was driving behind a couple that were fighting. I was in the fast lane. I always drive in the fast lane. I keep it under 90, but I'm, you know, whatever. <laughs> and they're fighting, and all of a sudden, every once in a while, she grabs the steering wheel. She's over here. He's here driving. And the car's going like this, up and to the divider, and, you know, and I said, hey, let's watch this deal. <laughs> so I'm getting a little closer. This happened three or four times. And finally they pulled off, smart. And I thought, you know, that's what we do sometimes. God's supposed to be in the driving seat. Every once in a while we grab the steering wheel. That's not how it works. Where's the victory? 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. This is the last one we'll read together. Let's read it. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. <coughs> I think that's probably what made Ryan kind of pretty emotional where he was today in Rome, in the jail cell where the Apostle Paul was. You and I as believers are part of an immense plan. And sometimes we think, hey, we're just a little speck in the universe. Well, we are. If I, if I went into some scientific stuff and told you that you as a human being are at least 8,000 times more complicated informationally than what it would take to create an entire universe. This human body is so incredibly complex. And yet Jesus can say to Lazarus, hey, come forth. No big deal. 2,000 or 2 trillion cells in our body all of a sudden just come back to life. We have a powerful God who has made us. We didn't choose to come here. And God's got a plan for when he's going to take us out of here. In the meantime, we want to enjoy the journey. We want to be victorious. Maybe this morning you don't know Christ in a personal way. You believe in God. The whole idea of Jesus dying on a cross, paying for sin, it makes sense. When I heard all that as a young kid, I said, this has got to be true. Nobody can make this up. It's got to be true. I'm telling you, God is true. He loves you. He died for you. And then he arose again to show that he's the real God. Not some other strange, false religion. He's the real God. And that's the whole reason that God started this whole deal. I want people to know that I'm God. There is no God besides me. And I'm the only Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you today for guiding, directing, helping us. Thank you, Lord, for showing us in your word how powerful you are, how wonderful you are, how you love us so much, how you've guided us in life, how you have promised to bless, meet all of our needs, protect us, but not keep us from trials or temptations or things that we might suffer. And Father, my prayer is that we would be strong and steadfast today, that we would learn that we're all in process. We're, we're all having our ups and downs. We're all going through things. It's all a part of the plan, and it's good. Paul fought a good faith. Help us, Lord, to do that. And Lord, if, if there are people here this morning that don't know you as Savior, it's a simple thing to say, God, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to trust Jesus Christ to save me. I'm going to ask him to forgive my sins. I'm going to ask him to come into my life. I'm going to ask him to be my Lord and Savior. If you pray that prayer this morning, I promise you, God will keep his word to you and will come into your life and give you peace, clean your life, and make you the kind of person that he'd like you to be. So God, we just thank you for today. 
for what you're doing for us and for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.